What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And he asked the multitude, he says, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Exactly why he was saying to them, look, John was not in any local theater for you. John was way out in the wilderness, and it took you a lot of effort to go out and see him. It took you a whole day or maybe more than a day for you to go see him. And what is it that made you so motivated that you wanted to spend all that time traveling to go out to see John? Why did you go? That's what he's asking. And what was the reason why the people did all that work to go out to see the John the Baptist? It was because that it is said about John the Baptist in Mark 1.5, Mark 1.5, and there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem and were baptized in him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. That's why they went. They went out there to John the Baptist because they were tormented by guilt. They were harassed by the shame of their sins. And so when he asked this question, the Lord Jesus does in verse seven, the Lord is emphasizing to them that John the Baptist was in the wilderness. First of all, he was in the wilderness. John the Baptist, the wilderness. That's a strange place to go have a meeting for people to come to. That's like saying, we're gonna have a Bible conference. It's gonna be out in some field in the Laguna Mountains. You know, I mean, John the Baptist was not in the city. Why not? John the Baptist was not in the synagogues. Why not? John the Baptist was not in the temple in Jerusalem. Why not? Because the city, with all of its secularism, was so far from God that the people couldn't get relief from their sins in the city with all that it had to offer. So John was in the wilderness, outside the city. The synagogues, with all their laws about the things that you have to do and you don't do, especially the laws about the Sabbath and the, what you can eat and not eat and how you eat, you should wash your hands. It's, uh, they were so far from God that the people couldn't get any relief 
from their sins in the synagogues. So John was in the wilderness, not in the synagogues. And the temple in Jerusalem with all of their politics and their money making from selling the sacrificial animals, those sales, they were so far from God that the people couldn't get in relief. They couldn't find any relief from their sins, from their guilt, from their shame in the temple in Jerusalem. So John was in the wilderness outside the temple. So by calling out the fact that John the Baptist was in the wilderness, the Lord was saying, John the Baptist in the wilderness helped you when the city failed you. John the Baptist in the wilderness helped you when the religious synagogues failed you. John the Baptist was in the wilderness when the temple could not help you. But John the Baptist helped you in the wilderness. And that's why you were willing to travel all the way out to the wilderness to get help by John. Just remember, the Lord is in essence saying, just remember how much John helped you. And the help that John the Baptist brought to you was the help of seeing your sins as God sees them, dirty and rotten as repent, as helping you to repent of your sins, turning away from your sins, to prepare you for the Messiah. Because no repentance of sins, no receiving Jesus as Savior from sins. And so John preached that each person was guilty of their sins and had to repent of their sins. Now the way it was in those days was that there were many rabbis. There was rabbis all over. They were going into the temple with their groups, Rabbi Gamaliel and all of them, and they all had these rabbis, these quote-unquote famous rabbis, had their following. And a person, if you chose a particular rabbi to follow, you didn't cross over to another rabbi. You followed that rabbi. You were loyal to the rabbi that you chose to follow and you didn't cross over to another rabbi. That's the way it is today. I remember when, when I was in Israel at, at the uh, Wailing Wall. It was a very, very hot day. It was over 100, I think. I don't know. It was very hot. It gets very hot in Israel. Anyway, and so there, sitting on a chair out in the sun with black clothes on, black hat, black everything, black, just absorbing the sun, is this man, and he is reading some book. And I went up to him and I started a conversation with him. And uh, I said, uh, which rabbi do you follow? And he says, uh, Nachman, of course. So I said, do you follow Chabad or Lubavitch? <laughs> he spits. No, Nachman, of course. Okay, okay. So that's the way it is today. There are many, many rabbis. And they, when they follow one, they follow. That's the way it was then. So if you chose to follow a rabbi in those days, and that rabbi did go into the temple, then he would enter, as all the rabbis did, on the side of the wall of the temple where all the pools were. They call them mikvahs. And you would, as you entered into the temple, especially if you were a new convert to that rabbi, you would stop at the pool where the rabbi was, and that rabbi would immerse you in the water, which was assigned to everybody else. Oh, well, he's following that rabbi. And this is the way it was with John, but John was not in the temple outside there. He was in the River Jordan. So the people who came to Rabbi John 
We're saying to Rabbi John, we are following John. John has a message of repentance. We are confessing our sins as we're following John. And this is John's baptism, which was the, meant that it was the baptism of repentance because that was his message. So that was the sign, the baptism there or the immersion was the sign. And, uh, and so the Lord said, why did you go out there? To the wilderness. You didn't just go out there. You went out there confessing your sins and you went out there and you were baptized. You were immersed as a follower of John, John's baptism. And so the Lord says, you remember, don't you, that you went out there, don't you? And then he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see in verse seven? And the Lord asked them as they, what'd you go out there for? You went out to the river Jordan you remember, you went out to the River Jordan, you were confessing your sins, and he baptized you in the River Jordan. Oh, maybe you didn't go to be baptized there. Maybe you went to go see one of those many reeds that grows by the River Jordan. Was it a reed that was shaken with the wind, maybe? Maybe you heard all the way in, in the city that, oh, I think there's some reeds out there that are being blown by the wind. Let's go see them. Let's go see one reed. It's very, very clever the way he put it. First of all, it's very humorous. You can hear a Jewish mother speaking through him, you know. So what were you doing out there? Did you go out there to see a reed shaking with the ring? What's the matter with you already? Your reed's closer to home. Why did you go out there anyway? So the, <laughs> so the River Jordan is lined with reeds, lots of reeds. And when the wind blows, they bend, and there's a noise that they make. And there was a reason why the Lord used that analogy of a reed shaken with the wind. or yeah, And because a reed is very easily influenced by the wind, if the, the winds blow from the west or towards the west, then the reeds bend toward the west. Wind blows toward the south, then the reeds will bend toward the south. The reeds bend in the direction of the wind. They're like a wind vane, actually. And so by using that example, the Lord is asking the people, think about it. Think about John the Baptist. There were winds that were blowing, the winds that blew. For example, the wind that blew of the desires of the crowds. What the crowds want to hear, that's a wind. You know, the crowds want to hear a Joel Olstein message. They want to hear the message of, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you've got so much potential in you. And the crowds want to hear that kind of a message. And they would love to hear that. And that was a wind. So John, was he a reed that was, that was shaken with the wind of, of what the crowds wanted to hear? That was not John's message. John's message was, repent. The Messiah is here to save. You're guilty of dirty, rotten sins. Be warned and that the wrath is coming if you don't repent and be saved. And if you resist that repentance, you'll perish. Clearly, John was not a reed that bent according to the wind of what the multitudes wanted to hear. And then there were the winds that blew, the wind of don't make the Romans angry because they're really cruel people. I mean, the, from the oppressive taxes to the forced labor to the public torture executions of crucifixions. And if John was a reed that was shaken with that wind, then John would have stayed clear of saying anything that would have upset the Romans, especially the rulers. 
But John didn't care if his message made the rulers angry or not. He took the highest ranking Roman ruler, King Herod, in Mark 6.18. Mark 6.18, John had said unto Herod, it's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. John, what did you say that for? The winds that blew on John was to leave the Roman Herod alone. Just leave him alone, John. He's not a Jew. He doesn't care about the law of Moses. He's an idolater, very powerful idolater. So why don't you just leave him alone? And if John had been a reed shaken with the wind of don't make the Romans mad, John would have stayed away from the subject of Herod's personal family life and his family business because that wasn't John's business. But that wasn't John. And then there are the winds that blew on John of self-promotion, of really bragging, you know, saying things like, you know, well, you know, I'm the greatest prophet that's ever lived, and you ain't seen any prophet yet, and all that. And after all, all of Judea and all of Jerusalem flocked out of the cities to come and hear John the Baptist. And it was a great temptation on John the Baptist to look at all those people and say, look at all those people have come out to hear me. Would have been very easy for John to start to think that he was really something. Galatians 6.3, Galatians 6.3 says, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It was easy for John to deceive himself. And if John had been a reed shaken with the wind of self-pride and swelled head and began to think that he must really be something to attract all those people to come out in the wilderness, those were the winds that John would have bent to and promoted himself, but not John. John's message was, I must decrease, he must increase. John's message was, I told you before in John 1, I am not the Messiah. Well, are you he that, are you that prophet that Moses spoke of? I am not. But it's very interesting that John didn't say, I'm not that, let me tell you who I am. And then there were, there were the winds that blew of wanting to get the endorsements of the very powerful religious elite, the Pharisees, the scribes. And if John was a reed shaken with that wind, he would have played up to the Pharisees and get their support. Oh, the Pharisees coming here. Well, let's let heaven come right here in the beginning of the line here. Let me baptize you first, sir. And John didn't play up to them, just the opposite. John said to them in Matthew 3, 7, Matthew 3, 7, which we've already seen. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, oh, generation of vipers, <laughs> who hath warmed you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, fruits meet for repentance, and think not within yourselves. We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth root is hewn down and cast into the fire. So what has he done there? John has just called the Pharisees and scribes snakes, hypocrites, stones, and trees that have the ax laid at the root of them marked out to be cut down and put into the fire. John was not a reed that was shaken with the wind of wanting the support of the Pharisees and the scribes. And this is what the Lord Jesus wants the people to see about John. John was rock solid, he's saying. 
John didn't care about the wind it was coming from or how strong the wind might be. John was not a reed shaken with the wind. And to see the Lord step in so strongly here and defend the reputation of his friend, John the Baptist, it draws us more to love and adore this great loyalty that the Lord Jesus has. And to see him that when John is down, and John is down, that the Lord doesn't walk away from him and say, well, fine friend, you were a fair weather. No, he doesn't do that. He comes out and he becomes the Hebrews 13.5 Lord. Hebrews 13.5, he had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, even when you're down. And that means that even when we're attacked, he will never leave us nor forsake us. So to see this, the Lord rise up during this time of John's weakness, it's very encouraging. It shows us about the Lord. He's not focused and looking at our failures to blame us and to press us down. He's looking at our successes. As it says in Romans 8.31, Romans 8.31, God be for us. He's for us. The devil is the one who is focused on our failures. The devil is the one of Revelation 12.10, Revelation 12.10, the accuser of our brethren who accuse them before our God day and night. But by contrast, God is the one who steps up and says, I see those weapons that are formed against you. I see that tongue that's rising up against you. Here's what I have to say about that in Isaiah 54, 17. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness of me, saith the Lord. And there was a time, there was a time when the Lord Jesus was with his disciples and they started to argue among themselves. And he knew what they were arguing about. And there was a strife, it says in Luke 22, 24, Luke 22, 24. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest? That sounds like a good thing to argue about. <laughs> and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, let him be as the, the one that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at the table of my kingdom and sit at the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So they start to argue who was the greatest among them. And at that time, the Lord says to them, you are those that have continued with me in my temptation, in Luke twenty two twenty eight, 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And after that, then the Lord speaks about how Peter is going to, making reference to Peter's temptation, when Peter is going to horribly deny the Lord three times, He's going to say that Jesus was only a man. 
he's going to curse and say that he never even knew Jesus. That's what he's referring to. And with that in mind, you ask the question, how could the Lord say with that in mind, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations? Continued with him in his temptations? How about his greatest temptation which was coming up when he was gonna be in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was gonna be tempted to not accept to drink the cup of God's wrath for our sins, He's gonna pray that that cup is taken away. That was his greatest temptation. And what were the disciples doing? Were they continuing with him in his temptation? Mark 14.32, Mark 14.32, they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. He saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. He taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and very heavy. He saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. He went a little further, fell on the ground, prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what thou wilt. He cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto them, Peter, see it's a Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Unless you enter a temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away, prayed, spake the same words, and when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy. Neither wished they what to answer him. He cometh a third time and saith to them, Sleep on now. Take your rest. It's enough. The hour has come. So the Lord is going into his greatest temptation. He's just asked them, Just stay awake and pray. And they sleep. Instead of pray, they lie and sleep. And uh, not just once, three times. And how could the Lord say to them that you are those who have continued with me in my temptation? He could say that because he was for them and not against them. And he could focus on the downfall of Peter, as he did, and say, you are they which have continued with my temptation. That's very encouraging for us. As we look at our failures, we condemn ourselves. We say, oh no, how could I have done that? I failed, I'm such a failure. And the Lord doesn't come to us and says, yeah, you know you are. How could you have done that? He doesn't do that. He comes and he, he says things like Luke 22, 32, Luke 22, 32. I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And looking back over our lives, the Lord could say, Luke twenty two twenty eight, Luke twenty two twenty eight. you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And this is what he's doing here with John the Baptist. He's not saying, John, a total failure. After all, John, you saw heaven open. Nobody else saw that. You saw God the Spirit descending on me as a dove. No one saw that. How could you now doubt if I'm the Messiah? He didn't do that. And the Lord continued to press the point of the question, What'd you leave the city to go for? Go see out in the wilderness. He goes, verse eight, what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. You went to the wrong place, in other words. That's what you're after. So he was saying, so tell me, how did you see John's clothing? Did you see him like in silk shirts and cashmere sweaters out there? It says in Matthew 3, 4, Matthew 3, 4, the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. John looked like a mountain man. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.